Hey everybody and welcome into episode 27 of the Landscape Photography Show. You're in for a treat today because we have on the podcast with us photographer Gavin Hardcastle. And I know Gavin gets this reputation of being a really funny guy, you know, a, a jovial guy, somebody you love to be around and watch on, say, YouTube, on his videos. And that's all true, but in this episode, we really talk a lot about the creative process of photography, the emotional connection to photographs, and then we also found this love, this joint appreciation of coffee. So we do have like a five-minute conversation on what coffee is the best to get when you are out taking photos because coffee is very important to landscape photographers. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome into the podcast. On today's podcast, we have photographer Gavin Hardcastle. You know, Gavin, I'm going to jump right into it, really. It is Gavin Hardcastle really your name? Well, I used to be a porn star. So, you know, I adopted that name. You have to have a porn star name when you when you start in that career. And so that was my, my porn star name. But it just kind of stuck when I moved into photography. So I just kept it. So it's like your stage name. It is, yeah. It is a, a real stage name. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you my actual name because you've got to keep that element of mystery, don't you think? It's not like Timmy Jones or anything. <laughs> little little Timmy. Little no, Timmy. No. no, nothing like that. But no, actually, it is it is my legit real name. Um, it, it was only when I started doing stuff like this, podcasts or you know stuff for YouTube, that people started saying, "Is that your real name?" But when I was a kid growing up, nobody batted an eyelid. It was never a a, a talking point back then. It's funny. It's funny what people fixate on these days when you when you're doing stuff like this with the media you know i was media i don't know if i can be rated as media <laughs> per se <laughs> i was having a look at your website and you know there's several typos you know you spell favorite f-a-v-o-r-i-t-e i think i spell it the english way which is the correct way uh, yeah uh-huh. is that I, how I, you were taught in school yeah, because I, I was raised in England and, and I was taught uh, English in England. So whenever there's like a, a word that you spell that's kind of like you can choose the North American spelling or the English one, I'm pretty sure you can guess which one I choose. So you didn't adopt the North American way when you moved over? No, I fully resist it. I, you know, you've probably noticed I've got a Yorkshire accent still. I've lived in Canada since 2007. So I, I think when you when you move somewhere where you're an expat where you emigrate you've you've got a choice you you either keep your 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 personality and your culture um but you kind of adopt some aspects well or most aspects of where you move to but i I try and keep some things that i find charming you know so i'm I'm not going to lose my delightful yorkshire accent i think that would be a choice you have to make a conscious choice all right i'm going to drop the accent now i'm going to adopt this one well I'm going to keep it. Thank you very much. Why did you decide to move? Well, um, I don't want to upset any Brits, uh, but 
you know, living in Britain is it's it's a very overcrowded country. I don't I don't know if you've ever been there. I have. So you, what was it recent? Like when when did you go? I went 2018. Yeah, so it's quite recent and so you'll know what it's like there. Like it's so busy, it's so overcrowded, it's so stressful. And I left in 2007, so I was already struggling with with how busy and overcrowded and expensive it was. And I, I just knew I wanted out. I just wanted to get out of the UK. And it's it's funny now because now that I'm, you know, a photographer full time and I'm obsessed with photography, I guess I, I miss the UK in some regards because there's so much history there. The scenery is amazing. And back when I lived there, I took it for granted. You know, I didn't I didn't take full advantage of it. So I'm kind of I kind of regret that to some degree. Um, but moving to Canada, you know, for your, for your quality of life, uh, that was the best move that I ever could have made. You know, it's, it, I've never looked back. It's been fantastic. I, and it's easy to say that because I, you know, I live on Vancouver Island, so that's one of the prettiest parts of, uh, of Canada, but yeah, it was the best move I ever made. And as a, as a Brit, your choices are fairly limited unless you speak different languages, but, but I'm a bit of an idiot, so I, I can barely speak English. <laughs> so your choices are sort of limited to what they call the colonies, right? So Canada was a, a, a an easy an easy transition. Plus, I had family in Canada as well. That they're all on the the east side of Canada. But yeah, it's it's been fantastic. I absolutely love Canada. When did how did you actually get started in photography? I've never heard you tell the story. Um, how did I get started? I think I'd always had a bit of a, an appreciation for photography. I'd always really loved films and cinematography. And when I was a kid, I always watched uh, Spielberg movies and John Carpenter movies and all these, all these horror movies and sci-fi and fantasy. I remember films like Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff like that. Things that came out in the seventies and the eighties, you know, compared to the technology that, that, we've got now you look back at them and some things might seem primitive but one thing that never seems primitive when you look back at let's say a Spielberg movie from the the 80s is the cinematography is sublime it's it's timeless it's it's gorgeous and I think I I just uh, fell in love with that look and how they could make things look so beautiful with cameras and lenses and movement and so I guess I was learning that subconsciously. I didn't realize I was learning it. I didn't realize I was, I, I was infusing this, this, um, this creative look. And so when, when you know, cameras or good cameras became kind of affordable or available to consumers, I was like, oh, man, you mean I, I, can, I can go and get that look? I can create something that has that cinematic look? Well, that was it. I, I was in, you know, and, and around about 2010, is when I, I really got serious and, and started to invest in gear. And uh, I would definitely say life has been far more fulfilling on multiple levels since I became a, a landscape photographer, even more so since I became a, a full-time landscape photographer and now, I guess, a filmmaker, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic uh, thing to get into, which I'm sure everybody, I don't need to say that to your audience, they're, they're probably already fully on board with that. <laughs> What did you do for a career before it? Well, before that, for, for 20 years, um, I was a music producer. So I'm a musician. Okay. 
and I've always had this background in audio production and right from my, my very first days working, you know, doing a little home project studio for people doing demos, um, I'd, I'd meet all kinds of people. <clears throat> and one of my first sort of full paid, full time paid gigs doing audio was was doing radio commercials and jingles. So I've, I've produced thousands of uh, radio commercials. So this whole, uh, you know, voiceover thing and audio production and editing, all the stuff that I do in my videos, it comes from that. It comes from that background, you know, and that that understanding of pace, of tone, of cadence, and all of these these aspects that you don't really think about when you when you're listening to or looking at a finished product. But they definitely um, those skills definitely came in handy, especially now that I've kind of gone beyond photography and more into filmmaking about photography. Uh, so that so that's what I did, and, and I used to do. Um, composition for music libraries so a lot of the music that you hear in my videos I, I composed or produced myself not all of it but most of it and um you know I loved it I did that for 20 years but doing the same thing for 20 years it does kind of get a little bit boring so and at the same time as my business was starting to fade out in the music genre my photography or my love or my obsession for photography that was growing so it was kind of like a natural transition for me to go from from one career to the next. And with that, I kind of took as many skills as I could to just kind of give me that that advanced leg up. Can you do a jingle like off the top of your head right now? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you an example of the kind of crap that I used to do. And they were mostly crap, you know, is, is you'd have to you know, you'd have to write a piece of music uh, and it, and often the client would sort of say, well, we want it to sound like this. You know, we, we might want it to sound like Katrina and the waves walking on sunshine. So you kind of, you'd put together this clone of some, of some popular track <clears throat> and then you'd get a singer, you know, to come in and you'd have to try and get them all excited about Mike's carpets open on the weekend, you know, <laughs> and you'd have to kind of, so you got this, this, this guy or this woman in the booth, then you'd be sort of saying, no, can, can you be a little bit more excited? And, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe sing it with a smile in your voice so it changes the shape of the words, you know. And, and you know, it was, it was, I had a lot of fun doing that job. There was some, there was some good times. And as a, as a day-to-day nine-to-five job, you know, I got no complaints. That was, it was good. You can't complain about doing something that you enjoy for, for a living. But after a, after a while, you know, it's it's difficult for you to get excited enough to make your talent excited. So if I've got a singer and I'm, I'm trying to get them all G'd up and excited about singing about the Halifax Courier newspaper, <laughs> you know, it's it's difficult. It really is. And and some days you just you're just not up for it. So I knew that my my days doing that kind of gig were numbered, but it was a good, you know, it was a good phase. I got no complaints. I enjoyed it. I learned some some great skills. In fact, what you and I are doing now, it, it's unbelievable. Back then in the 90s when I was doing that, we had to do all of this over ISDN, it was called. And so you'd have this very expensive connection, this almost like a data connection, direct from from me to the the voiceover artist somewhere somewhere else in the UK, and you'd you'd be able to record them in real time, kind of like we're doing right now with this online service. And if you'd have told me back then that we would be able to do this pretty much for free, I'm, maybe you're paying a little fee for this service. I don't know. No, it's I, free. 
it's free. It's unbelievable. And like the quality that I'm hearing from you, and I'm hoping that the quality that you're hearing from me is just as good as what we used to get back then. And we paid a fortune for it. It's just, Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It's like this, this is the thing like nowadays, if you are a talented artist and you've got a little bit of tech savvy and you're willing to put in some hours, you can do anything now. You can make movies. You can make albums of music. You can create podcasts like this. Like the stuff that you can do with the tech that is currently available for either free or very cheap, it's unbelievable. And, and that's why, like, I've got no understanding of people who, you know, say, oh, well, I'm bored. I've got nothing to do. Well, oh, I. You know, I do this because there's nothing else. There's so much for you to do. There are so many opportunities. There's so much scope and possibilities for, for creativity if you're willing to put in a bit of time. Well, that's one of the things like when when people always say, you know, I want to get into landscape photography, I want to do it full time. That's kind of one of the answers that that I typically give people is you can do it you have to be creative about how you earn your money. You can't just do the exact same thing. Maybe everybody else is doing maybe, you know, like you, your YouTube videos, your style in that sense sets you apart a little bit, but you obviously have put in the hours you're creative and, and strategic about doing that. Yeah. I don't know if I, I wouldn't say strategic, but um, <laughs> yeah, you, you have to figure out, you know, it's, it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to turn pro uh, as a as a landscape photographer, and and maybe some some of your listeners are, are thinking about that, you know, uh, I would I would I would caution them and I would say, well, think about this. Think about um, what is it that you love about landscape photography? Why is it that you want to turn pro? And and I'm guessing the answer to that question from most people would be because I want to do what I love for work and that's why I do it. Right. So I understand that motivation. Um, but, but I think there's a lot of people out there, very successful people who are landscape photographers in their spare time. And I think if you have a job that you already enjoy, that provides a good income that, that perhaps allows you a bit of free time to then go and do your landscape photography, I think that that's the holy grail, right? That's the perfect position to be in. Now, I mean, I guess most people hate their jobs, right? They, they just want to get out of it and do what they love for a living. That I understand that. But, I, you know, the kind of clients that I work with on workshops and on, on private sessions, they tend to be people that have already had some success with whatever career they've got. And they've now got to a phase in their life where they only need to work a little bit or sort of half of the time doing that job, which they still enjoy, it pays them good money, far more money than you would ever make as a landscape photographer. And they've still got that time and that freedom to do the landscape photography every waking moment that they're not at work. And I think that I would always advise someone to go that route first than the route that I've taken where, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, what do they call it? Is it like, starvation and and um abundance i can't remember what the term is but basically you go through these periods where it's like wow i just made a ton of money that's great but you might have to make that last six months you might have a quiet eight months you know so being self-employed in this industry where 
nothing is guaranteed. I mean, look at this coronavirus stuff that's going on right now. A lot of my colleagues and peers in the photography industry, we're all chatting about the, you know, people are getting a lot of cancellations on workshops mm-hmm. and it's, it's quite scary, you know, so you can plan, you can schedule things and get your logistics perfect and get, get a bunch of money and think, right, all I've got to do is show up and wow everybody with my skills and do this workshop and have a great, make sure everybody's at a great time. But things happen that are out of your control that, that might mean that that, that workshop's not even going to happen. Some of my friends and colleagues, are they're going through a hard time right now with this. So there's so much risk involved in being a self-employed, full-time landscape photographer that I would always, if anyone's thinking of doing it, I'd always say, well, <clears throat> you know, think really hard about, do you really want to do that? Is there a way you could kind of do it on the side and, and still enjoy it, still have a great life whilst doing some other career? Was that a shameless plug for your workshops? No, but I, I could probably do a, if I was going to do that, I'd do a better job. <laughs> if you were really prepared, you would have done a jingle for it. I, I totally would. I would have had like a script in front of me. I would have, I, I totally did a crap job of that. But, um, you know, I, I totally understand that you would think I would try and squeeze that one by you. <laughs> How has, you, you mentioned this and, and we talked about it a little bit before we jumped on about where you live. Um, How has living on, Vancouver Island like helped you as a landscape photographer oh it's uh it's phenomenal really because having been here 15 years now um is it 15 years since 2007 I can't do math I'm really bad but having been here for many many years you learn uh you learn where to go at certain times of the year so Hmm. you can't just go to any old place at any old time of year and expect it to be uh, productive. You have to know when to go. And and so you know, for me, it, pretty much all year round, there are certain places that are almost a guaranteed shot. And so your productivity uh, as a professional landscape photographer, that it's a vital thing these days. It's, it's sad to say, you know, I'd love it if I only ever, ever had to post five images a year and I could make sure that they were all absolutely fantastic. But the truth is, you know, with social media and the fact that you need to constantly be reminding people that you exist still, you you constantly have to churn out work, right? So there is a certain amount of filler to the amount of killer that you have to post. Not everything can be a killer image. Sometimes you just have to accept, you know, today I'm posting filler, right? But if your filler is pretty good, then you're in a you're in a really strong position and a lot about where you live determines what you can produce on a regular basis that's why the uk is really good because if you if you are prepared to drive it's it's kind of like a massive version of vancouver island because it's an island and you can drive from one end to the other in like 15 or 16 hours and you know, there's all kinds of stuff. There's castles, there's coastal scenery, there's waterfalls, there's all kinds of stuff. There's forests in the UK. So depending on where you live, uh, you you really can be productive all year round if you're prepared to put in the hours. And Vancouver Island has kind of given me that opportunity. It's given me that that um, that ability to be prolific in in what I produce. So. And again, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to move here. But I'll be honest, 
I didn't know half of the locations back then. It was it was a big gamble. And and since I've lived here, I'm constantly discovering new places. Or you know, somebody will post something, I'll be like, "Where's that?" You know. And I think that, I don't know if you've ever studied this this coastal uh, this coastline and this scenery that we've got up here in BC. But I think you could live a thousand years, and you would still never exhaust all of the possibilities that this this coastline's got to offer. It is. It's fantastic. Did you own, did you rely on people to show you those places or were you ever getting out just scouting on your own and just trying to find anywhere to shoot? Oh, scouting is what I do. You know, um, I think like everybody scouting, it kind of begins online. Let's be honest, right? We all spend time online. It's the easiest way to find stuff. And then, you know, you just go out and you just explore. And again, like what I said earlier is, you can go to the same place throughout the year. You could go somewhere twice and and think, no, this is not particularly great. Why did I bother? You go the third or the fourth time and whatever it is, there are certain conditions that happen during that time that turn something into an absolutely sublime photo when the last two times were kind of, you know, whatever, they were average. So you you also, I think as you mature as a photographer and as a, a scouting photographer, as you mature and you get more experience, you're able to predict possibilities. You're able to go somewhere and say, well, it's kind of crap now because there's too much water. But I bet if I came here in April, this might be a perfect waterfall because it's got all these lovely subjects in and around the waterfall. And the way that the light is going to hit it at this particular time of day in in April, I think that's going to be perfect. So that that comes from experience. And, and I think the more that you do, the more that you see potential. Yeah, I was going to ask if, if that was a learned trait and you just alluded to it because it's almost like sometimes if you do have a workshop participant, um, you can see their brain click when you start to describe things like that. Because photography, when you start to scout yourself you can see that cyclical process of going from you know i found this place online i'm gonna go get this exact shot to more creative photography of finding your own locations and trying to make your own compositions well yeah it's true but but even then you know like with all of the best planning and all of the best experience you still you still can't completely predict everything and I've mm-hmm. actually gone to places with clients at the worst possible time of year. And I've actually tried to talk them out of it. And they've said, no, no, I, I really want to go and get that composition. And you go there thinking, well, this is a waste of time. We're not going to get anything. But you might not get the shot that they're after. You know, you take them there and it's like, yeah, well, you know, I did say that this wasn't going to be ideal conditions. But while you're there, you might spot something else that you didn't spot the last time. And it's that it's where chaos comes in. It's where that complete the element of the unknown comes in. So even with all of that experience and planning, things can still surprise you. And so what it all boils down to is the amount of hours spent pounding those trails. You know, if you are out all of the time, you you just increase your chances tenfold of getting beautiful light at at the right time. And as you as you know, I guess, I guess as everybody who's listening to this this podcast knows you know, getting that perfect light at the perfect time while you've found your perfect composition, I would say 
it's one in 10. I don't know about your success rate, but mine is, it's one in 10. It's probably but, lower. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, I mean, that, again, that all boils down to your choices of, of location. So mm. one of the things that I do is I try and, I try and shoot for the weather conditions. So if, if let's say it's completely pouring down, it hasn't let up for a week, you know that you're not going to get a nice sunrise or a nice sunset, but there's certain waterfalls that you know will look really good when everything's soaked and it's a miserable, dismal day and it's raining and the water level, the flow is at a certain, certain power then, you know, you know, that's a safe bet. So <clears throat> I, I mean, I don't know where you, where do you, where do you live? I live in Tennessee, Tennessee. I've only been to Tennessee once. So I don't really know what the area is like for you, but I, I mean, imagine it's the same wherever you are, right? You, you probably know locations that you would definitely get more success in winter than you would in summer. Right. 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 So, I mean, that that's what I try and do. I try and maximize my chances of success by shooting where I think there's a good chance instead, instead of just wasting. Because like, as I was telling you before we started recording, everywhere on Vancouver Island that's good always tends to be a three-hour drive one way. So if I'm going to spend six hours in my car getting to and from a location, I, I, I that's six hours I could have spent editing the next YouTube video, right? So I've, I've <laughs> yeah. got to make my time count. And so that's why I, I choose locations that are going to work for the conditions that I've got. Now, I'm just going to go to the toilet and have a, a quick pee and top up my water. Can you pause okay. or are you just going to let yeah. it run? Or, okay, it won't be long. Since Gavin is off relieving himself, I thought it would be the perfect opportunity to tell you about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. If you go to visualwilderness.com, you can find a multitude of courses, tutorials, articles, different resources for you to improve your photography and help you take better nature photography. I'm a contributor to that site, and right now you can get all of my courses on visualwilderness.com for 33% off. If you want to see all of those, you can go to davidjohnstonart.com and then click on the learn tab and it'll take you straight to all the tutorials and courses that I have on there. Again, visualwilderness.com and you can use the code david33 during checkout to get things like merging realistic HDR for nature photography, focal blending for nature photography. All these things are at your fingertips to help you be a better photographer. Let's see if Gavin is done relieving himself in the bathroom. All right. Sorry about that, mate. That's going to happen a few times. You were really holding that one for a long time, weren't you? Well, I was holding that for at least an hour, which for me is a really long time. <laughs> but i tell you i don't know how old are you i'm 32 oh you're you're a youngin so i'm i'm gonna be 47 soon and when you get to my age you, your prostate and, and your bladder seem to just like collapse and so it's like you need to pee 22 times a day it's painful plus i drink way too much coffee oh yeah same here man i was actually loading up on coffee right before we talked I, i'm doing it as we speak Tim Hortons. Oh God, mate! Come on. <laughs> Have you been to Canada? Yes. I've never had their coffee though. 
Did you drink? So you've never drunk Tim Hortons? No. Well, you should keep it that way. It's disgusting. <laughs> That's not very Canadian of me, but who cares? Because Tim Hortons is owned by Burger King now, so I don't care. And if I'm going to oh, drink American right. coffee, I'd rather drink Starbucks than than Tim Hortons. It's gross. No, Starbucks is garbage. Well, what would you recommend then? What do you think is better? Okay, no, you, you can still go to Starbucks, but instead of their like Pike Brew or uh, Blonde Roast, whatever they have, I recommend going uh, Blonde Americano. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tastes a lot better than their... Uh, ground coffee and i think it's like only 50 cents more right i'm right oh you have to pay extra right i'm writing this down because i do love my coffee a blonde americano and it's better eh yeah yeah it's way better well shane bloom was telling me that he gave me he gave me grief about starbucks he said no it's got to be dutch bros man so i tried dutch bros and i thought it was crap dutch bros yeah dutch brothers it's like a a west coast thing it probably is. I've seen it. I've seen it in Oregon quite a lot, but I, I wasn't. Sorry, Dutch brothers, but I, I wasn't that impressed. Are All right, still, well, let's are jump we still back rolling? in. <laughs> yeah. All right, I didn't. I don't know if we're still rolling. Okay. Yeah, let's jump back into it with photography stuff, though. I mean, I guess what can people email you if they have coffee questions? Well, only if they've got coffee suggestions. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, we'll keep it coffee, that way. Coffee is very important to photographers, especially landscape photographers, because we stand around in the cold, often sleep deprived and exhausted. Mm-hmm. Coffee is the lifeblood of landscape photographers. I tell you what, if I if my channel really takes off, and I've got like a million followers, I am willing to spend years of research and learning and honing my skills as a coffee roaster so that I can have my own brand of coffee beans that are fantastic. I'd really, I could really get behind that. That could be like my, my little cottage industry that I make more money at than I could ever make doing photography. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you go out and shoot and drink coffee at the same time, of course, what about the process of creating a photograph really invigorates you the most? Oh, that's, that is a good question. I, I'm hoping that you've never asked anybody else that question. I that have not. Purely for me. Right. What invig- right. I think what I love about, about photography, especially landscape photography, is it's that excitement of not only witnessing that perfect moment, you know, so it could be a rainbow, it could be a crashing wave, it could be a shaft of light with this beautiful light beam coming through a forest. So you've got so many different elements that are so enjoyable about landscape photography. So there's that witnessing it, right? So you're there, you're there witnessing it. So you're seeing it with your naked eyes. This is before you've even taken a picture. And I can't think of any... I'll be honest, I can't think of any other reason why I would be there to witness that if I wasn't a photographer. I know that that's really lame of me. I know that I should be so spiritual and and uh, wise that I should just go and do that anyway. I should just go and look at those things, even if I didn't have a camera. But I don't, you know, let's be honest. It's It's the photography that gets me there. But once you're there, you don't think about the four hours of hiking, the six hours of driving the crappy hotel that you're staying in. You don't care about any of that. You're just thinking about, wow, look look at this moment. Look at what I am seeing. 
So that's that's bonus number one. That's invigoration factor number one. Number two is now I'm capturing it with my camera. I'm actually capturing this moment. And as a creative, you know, as a person who loves to create and loves and loves to make art, it's so enjoyable to to capture that image and you're looking at it on the back of the camera and that feeling that you get when you know you've got a killer shot. Like what if you are witnessing an absolutely sublime moment and then capturing that with your camera, I can be on a high for days. Like that is the ultimate. It's it's creation in process, right? You are capturing it as it's happening. That invigorates me. And then, you know, I, I love the post-processing aspect of it as well. I love to get back, you know, whether it's the same day, whether it's a month later, and you, you bring up that image and you, you go through those emotions all over again. It's like, I can if I'm looking at an image, I can remember exactly what I was thinking at that time, even if it was 10 years ago. So if, if I'm looking at a sunrise that I took 10 years ago, I can remember, oh, on that day, um, I was either really happy or I was really sad or, you know, whatever was going on in my life at that time, it comes back. It's like an instant recall because it's tied to the visual in your mind. There's a, there's a memory link to that visual. It's almost like a smell. You know, you know, like you can smell things that you haven't smelled in 20 years and it takes you right back to your childhood, whether it's the smell of baking bread or cinnamon or apple pie, whatever it is to me photography is kind of that it's the same thing like I look at an image and I'm back there I'm feeling that cold you know I'm feeling that uh, excitement or that stress or that that fear you know maybe, maybe I took that shot and I'd almost plummeted off the edge of a cliff five minutes before it you know as often seems to happen in, in my life <laughs> whatever it is I'm right back there. And that's what I love about photography. That's what invigorates me about this thing that we all love. In that moment, you said you, you can go right back to that moment. Do you shoot for that emotion when you're out in the field? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. If, I, I don't think about that. It's, it's just what happens at the time. I, I For me, it's it's mostly about creation it's mostly about satisfying that desire for creativity i'm just a creative type so as long as i'm creating i'm happy i'm you know i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing i'm doing what i was born to do whether it's you know you're building a table whether you're writing a song or whether you're creating a silly video that makes people laugh or, or whether i'm editing an image creativity is, is what i require and, and photography is, is just an avenue down which I take that creativity. And at the moment, I'm still in love with that particular avenue of, of creativity. I think an unexpected benefit of the landscape photography, since I've been doing the YouTube thing, is how much enjoyment I get out of doing the videos. Because, I mean, you've seen the videos. Um, they're so much more than just, here's me taking pretty pictures. You know, there's the stories in there, there's there's humor in there. And and when I'm sat in my office piecing all of that together, it's 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 a very creative process that it gives me a lot of joy because I'm most of the time I'm laughing, you know. So, yeah, 
photography is, is, it's just the best thing that's ever happened to me. It really is. Let's talk YouTube. I mean, you've been very successful in just how long have you been doing it now? Uh, as a professional, um, I think I turned pro in 2013, kind of part-time. Uh, that's when I first started doing workshops. So, uh -huh. so yeah, let's say seven years. What about the YouTube part? Really, I've only been committed to that for just over a year now. I would say maybe a year and a half. It's been a... <clears throat> I think I posted my first video or first vlog a few years ago, but it was just kind of like an experiment. It wasn't something that I ever really saw myself doing. But I don't know, I saw I saw my peers having great success with it. And I thought, I could do that. And then I started to do it. When I first started to do it, I didn't really I didn't really put my my true self into it. I didn't really put the humor into it. It was kind of stale. It was kind of like, here's me taking some pictures i'm off on this journey and you know there was nothing wrong with it but from an editing perspective from from a perspective of me sat in this chair spending hours every day putting all of this story together for me right from the beginning something was missing i felt like i was holding back i felt like i wasn't being myself and it, it was a bit exhausting to not to not be myself in my videos and so once i said all right, forget that. I'm just going to do what I do. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to mess about and be silly in my videos and, and just have a laugh. It, it was liberating. I felt completely free. I felt, okay, I don't have to put on this persona or a facade that's going to be impossible to maintain. I'm just being me, you know. And then, like I said, all the fun that I have editing all of this, you know, there's days when I'll go out shooting with my buddies, <clears throat> film a vlog, and I'm just as excited about the skit that we just filmed as I am about the beautiful sunset that I shot. You know, it's like I'll go home with a memory card that's not only full of beautiful images, well, hopefully, but <laughs> it's it's also got these golden moments of comedy on there that I'm super excited to, to edit. You know, I'm, I can't wait to get to those scenes because I know I'm going to spend two whole days crying with laughter, you know. So it's... It's a lot of fun. Um, I've completely forgotten the original question. I mean, that basically answers it. Okay, <laughs> there you go. You connect with it through joy and laughter. Do you think the audience that has subscribed to you connects more with you now that you are yourself? Yeah, definitely. 100%. I, I should have done it from the start. You know, it's... Not only is it just more fun, I guess, for them to watch, but they also connect. I think an audience connects with reality or, or some, someone that they feel is being themselves or being real or being authentic. Even if that authentic you is annoying or is a bit pretentious even. Some, pe some people are just that way uh, and some people are down to earth. I, I like to think I'm, I'm down to earth and completely unpretentious. That's that's who I am, and that's what I try to to show in my videos, and so I think I think people connect with that because they see, okay, this this guy's real, you know. Th this is he, when when you see me in my videos having photogasms and being like totally enraptured and in a state of complete bliss over what I'm looking at, you know that's real. You you can tell immediately he's not faking it; like he is ecstatic about this. 
and I, I, I know that that comes across in, in the videos. And so I think when people see that, they, they completely identify with it. You know, they, they've been there. They know it. that's, that's the high that we're all chasing. Right. So, um, it, it's, it's a joy to share that it's a joy to film it. It's a joy to edit that and then post it out there. And I love it when the audience connects with it and they get that same high that, you know, I get comments and I get emails from people saying, man, I could see how excited you were at that moment. And I, I know how that feels. I've been there. That's the same high that I chase. We all chase it, don't we? And, and I think people live vicariously through my videos and, and, if that inspires them to then go off and do the exact same thing, that's brilliant. I, I love, I love that. That's a byproduct of this whole YouTube thing that I never predicted. I just ask that they don't do things as stupidly as I do. Don't take the risks that I, that I take. Cause you know, I'm a bit of an idiot sometimes and I do risk life and limb every now and then not consciously, you know, I don't, I don't plan to do that, but I would say, I guess I've got, I have a bit of a responsibility to say that, you know, don't be, don't be as stupid as I am. Do you know your personality style? Uh, is that like from those books that you, I don't think it needs to be linked to like an exact letter algorithm or anything. Oh, you mean like, like extrovert or introvert, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. I, I, if I, if I think I'm self-aware enough to say that, um, it, it's so, it's so cliche now. Everybody says this. I'm one of those extroverted introverts you know i i personally i love to be alone i like quiet time i i like to i don't like to be in crowds you know i like solitude i, I am <clears throat> in some ways the opposite of what you see in the videos because in the videos you see this sort of loud clown who's just always been silly right but um that and that is an aspect that's a true aspect of who i am but that's just the aspect that that's that they the element that I show you guys, because I feel that you're probably going to be more entertained by that. I don't think people would be as entertained if they were watching me being all introspective and sometimes a bit solemn and a, a little bit quiet. You know, that's that's perhaps not as entertaining to people. So I can be like that, but I can also be, you know, the life and soul of the party for a short while. And then I'm, I'm completely exhausted by it. And I, I like to retreat to my my solitude and my cave and and you know just be alone so it's that i guess it's that personality type that's kind of like you know you have these extrovert tendencies but then you like to rein it back and be a bit introverted and, and i think that's quite common these days it's very cliche yeah totally cliche but you know. <laughs> what do you have coming up in this next year uh, I mean, I know we mentioned your workshops that you're doing. Any other plans that you have coming up? Yeah, well, once I'm back in June from from my marathon of workshops, then it's pretty much going to be a full full commitment to editing all of the the footage that that I shot in January with F4, and that's Thomas Heaton, Nick Page, and Adam Gibbs, and we had Greg Snell with us, and so that's. There's so much material there that it's going to take us months to to work through that project and finish that. And hopefully that will come out in late September or early October. That's that's the plan. So that's going to keep me very, very busy. And then I guess after all of that travel that I'll be doing during the spring, 
I'll be so happy to be home back on the island. And then I'm just going to explore the island in the little few days off that I've got, which is my favorite thing to do. Let's, let's wrap it up this way. Who have been some of, I don't, I don't know if mentors is the right word, but people who you look up to or who inspire you to take better photographs. Oh, no, that I, I was worried you'd ask that question. And I, I you were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't. Prepare. You lost sleep over it. <laughs> yeah. That's how worried I was. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I mean, some of the photographers that I, that I really admire are people like David Thompson, uh, Ted Gore. Um, you said you had TJ Thorne. He's got some, some really nice work. Uh, Alex Noriega's got some really beautiful work. But I'll be honest, I don't really spend any time uh, looking at other people's work all that much. Um, I'd, I'd say Michael Shanebloom, he's, he's brilliant. I mean, that guy mm-hmm. is so talented. And when we go out and shoot together, what always shocks me is he looks like he's not really doing much, right? He, he, he Often he's kind of just sat on the ground, like looks like he's cleaning his lens or whatever. And then, and then you see like two months later what he was actually doing. He was filming this lovely bit of shallow depth of field through these flowers, <laughs> you know. And so like that guy is so stealth with his creativity. Like he, he looks as if he's doing nothing, but he's actually doing something that's really beautiful and, he, and he's prolific and he comes out with so much stuff, you know. So I guess, I guess Michael's a bit of a, a, um, an inspiration at times as well. And then, and then there's just people who have a, a work ethic that inspires me. So like Thomas Heaton, um, he was one, the guy who lit the fire under my ass to get me to do more vlogs because he's, you know, like, he's been doing it for years and he's saying, look, I mean, you've got to, you've got to commit to these regular posts and you've got to pump out weekly, try and really commit to it. <clears throat> and up to that point, I was kind of playing at it, but, but that's, you know, Tom inspired me to do that because when you see him vlogging out in the field, I, I, I'm still nowhere near that level of productivity because if I'm having a bad day, you know, if I, if I've, if something's annoyed me and brought me down in my day, it kind of, you know, it kind of ruins my day or it slows me down at least. Whereas, whereas Tom would be, he, you know, he'd, he'd get some bad news or whatever, or something would annoy him. But when he gets to the location, it doesn't matter about anything that's going on. He just turns it on, starts recording and he, and he records everything. No matter what, you know, no matter whether he's even inspired by the location. Whereas I'm kind of like, if I get to a location and I think, ah, I don't even know if I'm going to get a shot. I don't even get my camera out of the bag, let alone film myself walking down this trail, you know. So uh, Tom definitely inspired me to, you know, film everything, work harder, keep doing more of this. Somehow pull that energy out of this vacuum that you've been because you got some bad news that day or you, your tax return wasn't looking that good. You know, Tom inspired me to, to, you know, get going and keep trying and push it harder, even when you're not feeling like it. So that's, to me, that's as important as, as you know, artistic inspiration. It's that work ethic. That's awesome, man. Well, Gavin, thank you so much for coming on uh, and talking photography with us. Oh, it's been your absolute pleasure. It really has.